Welcome to the Good Quality Podcast brought to you by Swish Cultures with your host, Ashton Smith-Gooden, shining light onto women in sports and entertainment. On this week's episode, former Cal Berkeley volleyball star Maddie Kerr shares what it's like being the daughter of Chicago Bulls, now Warriors head coach Steve Kerr, and how she was able to define her own path. Before we get started, don't forget to subscribe. Now let's get to it. Hi, Maddie. How are you doing? Hi, Ash. I'm doing well. I'm so happy to be here and to see you, even if it's only virtually. I know. I miss you so much. I I feel like I haven't really seen you in like two years. And for anyone that doesn't know, me and Maddie were teammates at Cal, and she absolutely killed it. She was the Student Athlete of the Year, um, second all-time highest in total digs at Cal. We play volleyball, by the way. Um, <laughs> All-Pac-12 honorable mention, All-Pac-12 freshman team, our team captain, like the list, the list goes on and on. So that's thank a little, you. that's a little background. I like giving me way too many compliments, but thank you, Ash. <laughs> I've, I've missed you too. I feel like life after college just has completely flown by and now we have to be adults and it kind of sucks, but here we are. But I think people, people need to know what you did and you didn't even like when I, when I first started talking to you, even before I recorded this, you were just so humble. And I'm like, Maddie, if you don't say what you freaking did at Cal, like it's something to be extremely proud about. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I think, uh, you know, we, for, for any of you who don't know, we didn't have the most successful uh, volleyball <laughs> team. So I think that sort of overshadows some of the individual accolades, but I, I appreciate you. Uh, giving me the credit <laughs> of course no you deserve it and as a team captain like and with a team like ours it was it was a little tough um but I kind of want to go like right into it how was it growing up with Steve Kerr as your dad you know it's like kind of a funny question because I don't know what it would have been like having a different dad um that's true that's I think true. like some. so my dad is like a wonderful dad. I don't know that um, that most people in my position with like a dad in any sort of spotlight could have had like a better childhood than I did. He was like a very attentive dad and he was, he's just really nice and he's, you know, kind of super mellow and mild mannered, um, but really funny. Like we just, we had a great relationship growing up and we're a super close family. Um, but I think like getting at the like, like famous part there are were definitely like some lessons um so I think I think just like having him around maybe taught me to be like very conscious of my actions um probably at a younger age than most kids are because there was there were like greater consequences if that makes sense no that makes a lot of sense um you know my parents when I was like in high school they'd be like, you know, you can't be caught, like, or pr- probably more my mom than my dad, because my, my mom is the disciplinarian, and my dad is not, um, yeah. but my mom would be like, you know, you can't, like, you can't go and get caught by the police, like, drinking underage, like, that's gonna put dad in a really, really tough position, right. so I think just, like, little things like that probably made me more, more conscious, which ended up, uh, like, probably saving me from some, like, embarrassing moments as a, like, teenager. No, I, I think that's a good point because I never even thought about that because your your family is always, you know, going to be having a spotlight. And especially for you at an early age, you probably didn't even realize it until your parents yeah. had that conversation of like, okay, like Margo, um, which is Maddie's mom, um, like just saying like, hey, 
this is what you need to do. You need to be kind of more, like how you said, more conscious about right. it. But I was really, you know, it was, it was nice because they sort of, like as college athletes, you know, as soon as you get on campus, they sort of talk to you about that too with like your social media and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so it was like an easy transition, I think. Like I just learned it a little bit younger. Yeah. And you but know, helpful. We did have the media trainings too. So you probably already knew you're like, why am I here? <laughs> like I already know how to do all of it. I was like, don't post the frat party <laughs> pictures on my Instagram. Got it. Like 100%. <laughs> no, that's cool though. I, I always imagined, you know, if one of my, you know, family members was really famous that it would be, um, like different, but it seemed like it, it just, you're more prepared at an earlier age. So. Yeah, I think so. I think it like probably just, and it could just be my parents too. I have really great parents. Um, but I do feel like they, they sort of like, yeah, they're great. They sort of instilled like, like maybe a higher level of like maturity in us a little, a little bit, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I don't know. Totally. So you came in as a freshman in 2013 and then your dad got the head um, coaching position for the Warriors in 2014. So how was that for you to define your own role as an athlete during that time period? Was it different or like kind of expand on that? Well, so I had been playing for a year. So that was sort of nice, I think, um, to like have my freshman season and be mm -hmm. like a real freshman. Like I thought I was going away to college. I grew up in San Diego. Right. I'm going to the Bay Area and my parents are staying in San Diego and I'm going to be a real college kid like away from home. Yeah. That lasted like nine months and then my family was in the Bay <laughs> um, and I spent you know like half the week sleeping over at their house and like doing my laundry there and eating home-cooked meals. Um, honestly like I, I don't know that that was ever like a conscious thing. My my dad is like as I said he was a really great dad. He is a really great dad. <laughs> <laughs> was right great he was a great sports dad and what I mean by that is he he really stayed out of my life with mm. volleyball he was never like imposing anything on me he never told me what to do he never like told me I needed to work harder or like force me to do any of the like you know training stuff I did or join any of the teams I joined like right it was very independent and he stayed out of it but was supportive at the same time so I think it sort of um like your question sort of just speaks to my dad's like really, really good sports parenting mm -hmm. and um, you know, his willingness to let me fail on my own and, and be independent and um, you know, just sort of do my own thing. No, for real. Did it ever impact your play when announcers would be like Steve Kerr's daughter this or Steve Kerr's daughter that instead of saying like Maddie Kerr? Did that ever kind of affect you? Um, I don't know that it affected me because it sort of like followed me my whole life. I never like heard it during a game or anything like that. I don't think I noticed if they did. I think I'm well aware that it lent me some like privilege uh, with regard to like media attention. Like I probably did way more interviews and like, you know, little like TV spots on Pac-12 Network because mm -hmm. of my dad than I would have on my own um but I think I was just like pretty aware that that was how it was going to be and um I didn't like really let it get to me at all it was, no, it, yeah. it was just the way it was 
No, seriously. And when she's saying that she's being honest, because I think I was more like conscious of it. And I will always kind of say like, huh, like, you know, Maddie's killing, like, I think it should be Maddie, but the announcers wouldn't really say like, Steve Kerr's daughter, like while we're playing, but like, in, like how you said before, um, in the media, or if they did like highlights of her game, then that's when they would kind of say it, but it wasn't like too, you know, OD about yeah. it. No, and I think, I mean, it's probably like, maybe this is like higher level, like social issue talk, but it's probably also like speaks to like women's sports, not get having as much of a right. platform and like um, as much exposure as men's sports. So it it is sort of a way for like the announcers to like, like relate to their viewers and like get more attention so I think yeah. that that was sort of maybe how it was used For sure. it, it, it is what it is no that's a good way to think about it no because I, I honestly didn't even think about it in that type of way but once I start um once you mention that right now I realized that that's what Kobe was doing in a way like anything that Kobe did he brought his daughter involved and they started bringing you know light to the women's game because mm -hmm. the women's game wasn't really you know popular but yeah. now that he implemented that, you could see, like, there's more viewership, there's more concern, there's more, um, you know, analyzing of the game, showcasing how great these women are while they're playing. And on top of that, some of them are mothers. Like, me and my brother were talking about um, in the Wubble, some of them uh, actually have their kids in the, um, in the Wubble while they are doing their job. So I kind of went off topic, but that, that does put a lot of, of things into perspective. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I agree with you too. Like people and the NBA is really great about um, like a lot of NBA players are great about like trying to give exposure to the WNBA. And like, I think, I think people have also gotten more um, interested in women's soccer recently because they're so dominant. Like, I think it's like getting better for women's sports. There's definitely still a long way to go, but you got to definitely give credit to like Kobe Bryant and other NBA players who have like, sort of, who probably have daughters. Other other players who probably have daughters or like might have daughters who they want to be able to do whatever they want. So for sure, um, they definitely deserve some kudos. For sure. And is there any advice that you would give to um, like a son or a daughter of a high profile athlete that's trying to, you know, build their own way into whatever they're doing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's maybe a little bit different for me because I played a different sport. Um, so I think like my brother, Nick, who played basketball would probably have a different, um, you know, his experience was very different than mine. But I think just, I, I never like was focused on any of that. I really just like wanted to do the best that I could. And I'm sure maybe there was a little bit of extra pressure there, but I think like, I didn't want any credit that I didn't deserve. Mm -hmm. because my own play so mm -hmm. I think if anything maybe it made me work 10 times harder to like prove myself and like prove that I deserved the attention if that makes sense yes it does um, so I would just suggest like you know put your head down work hard like cancel out the noise it doesn't matter um and like earn your earn your spots stats don't lie <laughs> <laughs> stats don't lie your stats were crazy <laughs> 
they were crazy in college. Like I showed you, like I shared all of your accolades and those are just some of the accolades that I mentioned. It's not even all of it. And it's crazy. Like I would see you taking the extra time to do like extra reps. You know what I mean? You didn't have to, you have the starting position, but you're like, it doesn't matter if we're not winning. And you yeah. have, and I always have that. I think that is like, I think what you just said is a good, um, another good piece of advice. Like just push yourself a little bit past where like your coaches are requiring you to be every single day. And then all of that adds up. Like if it means spending 10 extra minutes doing, you know, something that'll help your game, like, like that time adds up. So, you know, if they tell you to do 20 reps, do 21. And just like sort of having that as like a principle, I think is, is really probably beneficial in the long run. For sure. This is fun talking about sports. Right. I talked about sports in so long. <laughs> I know because life is different after. People, yeah. don't, people don't know. So you know how we now, since we're not in sports, we watch Netflix and mm-hmm. we watch more TV. Did you watch the MJ doc? I did. How yep. was it? I need your, I need your opinion. How oh, was it? It was amazing. Okay. It was amazing. And not only like my whole family watched it together. We were all, um, my entire family was quarantining together for a couple of months. And it, so it was my parents, my, both my brothers, all of our significant others, and two dogs <laughs> in one house. Um, so that was, that was fun. But anyway, so we watched the whole last dance uh, together. So it, it, I'm just saying, it wasn't only amazing from like a like sports perspective and like a personal perspective because my dad was involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, my little brother is was is a film well he just graduated but he was a film student right yeah and he has no interest in sports at all but even he thought it was amazing from like a cinematic perspective right like, it was so well done yeah I watched it too and because you know with what Swish does we were watching it from the perspective of the athlete and then the editor and then mm-hmm. the producer and all yeah. this other stuff so it was, it was really cool. And then what we liked a lot about it is showcasing them, not just on the court. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, my brother, he was like, I love the dialogue. Like, to be honest, that's the best part for me. Like, I really appreciated that. And I think the dialogue is key. Even when we were talking on the court, like, people don't know when we cover, our, well, they might do now, but when we covered our mouths, by the net it wasn't because we were wiping our face it was because we we're probably messed up on a play and, yeah. <laughs> and cussing and we weren't yeah. supposed to say anything because our media training said not to you know yeah yeah definitely good insight I think and like all the locker room scenes were really good right well it's hard to imagine like um living during that time because now we're used to everybody filming everything but that year like no one had cameras on them at all times and, and yeah. the bulls had like <laughs> literally a camera crew following them every practice and every game for like a whole season it's just kind of crazy to think about how that was that's super crazy did, did you see like what part was your favorite if if you were able to choose one i know like they talked about how your dad got more credibility during the during the fight um after getting punched in the face <laughs> yeah yeah like what's that you I know you heard about that story before yeah um yeah that was that was pretty funny um 
That was a good one. I mean, yeah, I've heard the story. I think people have talked about that before. So that wasn't super surprising. I just, I loved the last episode was like, it was like watching an intense HBO show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I loved that. I loved the, oh, I loved one of the, I think it might've been like the second episode on Scotty, Scotty Pippen, the main episode on Scotty Pippen mm -hmm. in the beginning. I just like, I, you know, like, I don't know Scotty Pippen these days, but we, you know, knew them when we were little and we liked it Thanksgiving together. Like my dad and Scotty are like friends and I didn't know his background. Like I had no idea that he yeah. started off as like the, like team manager or, or whatever it was. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah I had yeah. no idea that he didn't go to college to play basketball and like worked his way up to being a first round. Like that's so mind boggling to me. That's, that was crazy. Like, not gonna lie, I'm like, man, just, what are, what are the odds that that happens? But he put in the work for it. Yeah. Like, how we've been mentioning throughout this whole time, like, the work is needed. It's not just, like, oh, because you have a name. He didn't even have a name. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? But I don't think a lot of people, I think they're starting to know now because of Twitter and social media, but you have a really political background within the family. So can you kind of go in about that and what you guys do and how you guys talk and kind of like about a little bit even about your grandfather, about like how he kind of, you know, put that and expanded that in the family? Yeah, so I think um, probably, I think some people know this now about my dad, but my dad comes from a family of like academics, like right. every, you know, everyone's like a professor, his, his brother and sister, one has a PhD from Harvard and the other has a PhD from Stanford. Like they're just crazy educated. Um, so his, what like people found out on the last dance was his dad was a like political science professor, grew up in Beirut, Lebanon. Um, my dad lived overseas a lot growing up, like back and forth between there and LA. Um, and I, you know, I like, I never met my grandpa or anything like that, but I think it probably has like I think just those experiences have like infiltrated my upbringing. Infiltrated sounds like a funny word to use there. <laughs> Permeated my upbringing. Um, just in that, like my parents taught me to have um, like a very open mind mm -hmm. and like an appreciation for new ideas and other cultures and things like that. Um, so we've we've always been. I wouldn't say we're like. Well. Our, our conversations have always been pretty political. So I think I grew up like probably with more of an awareness of what was going on in the world and what was going on in politics, just from like listening to my parents talk at the dinner table. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, probably it was like a subconscious thing, but we've definitely all, um, you know, just like made sure that, that we're aware of what's going on and, you know, conscious of our surroundings and, um, you know, involved in those sort of more political spaces. Right. I think it's really appreciated, you know, um, like how we were talking before, the climate that we're in, it's very, very intense, um, especially upon the Black community, as you, you know, we were talking, we were discussing. Um, and I noticed that the NBA is really, really taking part in showcasing and allowing players to wear, you know, uh, either a word or a phrase that they feel comfortable in, you know, bringing attention to the cause. 
like how did you feel once you heard that they're going to put like black lives matter in the court and like doing all these other things to bring you know more attention because that's the first time i've ever seen anything like that before yeah no i think it's absolutely amazing um of course um i think some i i want to say like some players before they had this plan for the bubble mm-hmm. uh, were a little bit wary of having a season given the climate because some players were were rightfully saying you know if we're if we're playing and we're in this bubble then we're not out there making a difference so i think it's great yes. that the league has like given um you know is providing this platform for like the entire nba as like a unified front to bring social change i mean people are like sitting in their homes right now they're bored everyone's watching basketball like they know that all the spotlight is on them um right. so I think, yeah it's like it's super important i think yeah they definitely deserve a lot of kudos but also i i just want to say i think every sports league every college team should like athletes have opinions like yeah. <laughs> athletes should not just shut up and drib- dribble like i think they don't i don't think athletes should be like should should require permission to use their platform and use their voices. Mm-hmm. And I think especially on an issue such as Black Lives Matter, when we're talking about the NBA, which is, I mean, I don't know the percentages, but it's like 95% Black men yes. who are, you know, like subject to discrimination and prejudice in their everyday lives, even like despite making millions of dollars every day. Like, so I just think, you know, like the, the league is probably run by like more more white people and I just don't really think it's like white people's place to like tell the people who are actually experiencing the wrong right. like what they can and cannot say or do right that totally makes a lot of sense it does like, I just think like I feel like as a white person my my job is to like listen and I'm like, if I'm doubting something that you as a black person are saying, like I should be checking myself because how am I supposed to know? Like, I do not have this experience. Yeah. Um, so I think just like, you know, approaching everything <laughs> with an open mind and listening is like mm-hmm. very crucial. So I think the NBA is, is doing that and, you know, allowing not, I don't want to say allowing because I, I don't like that word, but like, <laughs> Like enhancing players' visibility. Right. No, I mean, that's a great feedback for sure. Especially, you know, these conversations never used to happen, like, at all. Like, just talking about race, you you know, it's very difficult or people will feel uncomfortable. These conversations are a lot more approachable now because of, you know, I believe it's the media. I 1,000% believe, um, you know, George Floyd, it impacted this whole, you know, start for sure, even though it's been a thing, but now it's more, you know, on a grander level. Um, but as a white woman, how do you feel? Because I know you're not um, really active on social media, but I've noticed that you've been, you know, giving information daily. You know, you've been reading, you've been listening, you've been talking to me, which I'm super thankful for, of course. Um, but as a white woman, how do you feel and how do you approach your platforms to be an advocate during this time? 
Yeah. So it's like, it's, it is interesting. So I'm definitely not like a huge social media person. I'm not like a self promotion person. It probably comes from like, I mean, I've, I've never wanted to be like one of those people who has 10,000 followers because my dad is famous. Um, so a little bit of that, I like to be private, but, um, I kind of, I guess I realized like I've been reading this type of stuff for a long time but Mm -hmm. probably most of my followers, like I grew up in San Diego, most of my, like every single one of my high school friends is white. Like San Diego is just a very, very white community. Um, Like I think probably a large portion of my like social media followers are not reading the same things that I'm reading. So I, I figured I should just start sharing stuff because Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe people will start to listen. Um, So that was sort of like the thought process behind it. Um, I've also been like sending emails, uh, you know, like actually I've had a lot of friends reach out to me and say like, I know, you know, you've always like made an effort in this area to like educate yourself about this stuff. I need to do more, Um, which has been really great because we all need to do more. Like I'm not doing enough. Uh, Like nobody's ever doing enough. Like I, you know, I'm totally aware of that. Um, There's always more to be done. Yeah, I think like how you said, just first off, I I really am keen on like how you said about listening. Um, that's, that's huge. That is very huge. And then understanding and then asking questions that you may not, um, not know, because you even like told me, you said, I'm not, you know, a black woman. So I do want to understand as much as I can, um, how to be an advocate. And that for me was like top tier, you know, I'm like, I can say thank you so many times, but it's just like you, you're taking the extra steps, even outside of talking to me, you're still taking the extra steps to be a positive change. And that's, that's big time, you know? I I do want to say, I don't think like, I appreciate what you're saying. I don't think like, like I'm very privileged. Like I grew up, I'm a, a white woman. I grew up with like, you know, I, I, with a wealthy father, like I knew I could do like whatever I wanted. So I think what I just want is like for people like me to understand our privilege for our, our default response to these issues to be, to believe them and to believe the people voicing these concerns. And then to like, you know, use that information to take action and like help educate others. I think that that's been like probably the most important thing that's come out of these last couple of months is, and like, I'm fairly like outspoken and like not afraid to like provoke situations. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I've definitely like been silent in times when I shouldn't have, like if I heard, you know, somebody like an older person say something wrong and Mm I you know, maybe like a 21 year old who was uncomfortable correcting the 50 year old. Like, but this time has shown me like, first of all, just becoming an adult, like somewhat mm. an adult, I'm 25, mm. that adults aren't always right. And that you can completely challenge older people whenever you want to. But I think this time has, has told me to like, really, really take advantage of those opportunities to have difficult conversations and I've done that on like a couple of occasions over these last couple of months. And like what starts out as a difficult conversation generally ends up being like a very positive and illuminating experience. Oh, for um, sure. So. 
For sure. And just being an adult, you know, it's, you're experiencing new things, you're experiencing a different voice, a different perspective. Um, it's a whole different world, like in comparison to how we were in college, you know what I mean? That even though it's only been X amount of years, like two, three years that we've been out, it's still a huge growth and a huge change um, within within the adult world, non-athlete world, um, and all these different other things. And so that, that brings me to my next question of what is in your life now? What are you doing now outside of volleyball? You know, what are your new endeavors, your new plans? Yeah, so I'm in law school back at Berkeley. Uh, so I'm in my third year and I'm actually, I'm going to do like, I, you know, didn't really know I was interested in this stuff, but I'm going to work for a law firm that works with um, startups and, you know, like help start up startups get off the ground and get their, their businesses underway. So it's pretty cool. I'm like doing a summer internship there now. I really like the people. Um, yeah. Wait, you're doing, we, we'll, we can talk about that after. That I, I wanted to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> That's absolutely amazing. If, if someone is in athletics now, um, because I noticed in school, it, I might have just been naive, but I didn't feel like there was a lot of resources that transitioned you from the athletic world onto, you know, just getting a job. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some things that you think that athletes can do in order to, you know, transition appropriately after they graduate from college and do not go professionally? Yeah, it's definitely really hard. I mean, I think being an athlete and having to do summer school and stuff, like you don't get the internship opportunities um, that you might otherwise get. I would say like probably the most important thing is just like, uh, you know, reading and educating yourself and trying to figure out what you might like to do. Um, And like, you know, networking is everything in the professional world. So like if you are an athlete and you and your commitments prevent you from getting a summer internship, like try and reach out at people, reach out to people at companies that you're interested in or who you've heard good things about and try to set up a coffee date. And then they'll remember you when you apply for, for the job, like after your senior year. Um, I think being an athlete has like, I I was nervous, um, you know, going into Mm. law school applications and like job applications about not having had professional experience but like being an athlete has like people love athletes like they know that you have a great work ethic it's probably a lot harder to be a division one athlete than it is to like do a summer internship at google no offense (laughs) (laughs) it's tough though people don't know it unless they're they're actually you know doing it yeah so i think like employers will really value what you bring to the table but i do think it's kind of on you to like try to figure out what you might be interested in and reach out to people who can help you. I think like as a, um, like before being sort of more involved in like the professional world, I thought I was bothering people when I emailed them. But um, I think like most people are really, really willing to give you 30 minutes of their time or grab a coffee and they like meeting you too. And I think most professional people like meeting college students because it's like really way more fun than their actual jobs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, not really. um, yeah. 
I think that's very insightful um, because I think I made like a checklist of everything that I did within <laughs> within volleyball. Yeah. And like even the stuff outside of um, playing sports, I would be like, this is the club that I joined. This is the volunteering experience that I had on top of basically having a full time job while going mm-hmm. to school full time. So I think that's a lot of um, I think that's super helpful to write down what you're doing. That's included. Yes, that's included in your um, practice schedule, your game schedule, and your school schedule. And then in addition to all of the um, voluntary stuff, you know, like yeah. I think that was very helpful for me. Um, that's especially a really good idea. Everyone should keep a list. I should have done that. <laughs> Shout out smart. to Mackenzie Albrecht. Because really? yes, I saw that she did that. I think um, she probably doesn't even know that I looked, but I think I saw it on her LinkedIn and I was like, that's extremely smart. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's probably like the best thing to do if someone is looking for a job outside of sports or not looking to go professionally or even um, a professional athlete that may be, you know, trying to get into the corporate field. You should definitely um implement all the stuff that you had to do and it makes I think like how you said they love athletes a lot of people are looking for for athletes you know are I mean even like my um like law firm interviews and after my first year of law school I was interviewing at a bunch of law firms and I think I talked about my college volleyball experience like for like 80 percent of those interviews really okay they didn't they were like way more interested in that than my like law school classes so I think that's some some more advice is like don't don't think that your athletic experience is nothing Mm -hmm. because it's everything and people really really like it and I think like if you can just sit down and think about what you learned playing a sport you can pull out so many important skills that are um really applicable to to any job like I don't think you learn anything in an internship that you can't learn on the job when you actually yeah. start. Like yeah. nothing, nothing's like that difficult. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, for sure. No, you're making, you're making points, Mats. You're making <laughs> you points. The list thing is good. Uh, I kind of cheated. I got that from McKenzie, but yes, I think that it's very necessary and show how many hours that you do. Like all that, all that is key. Mm-hmm. You know, because you remember we were, we had to go to physical therapy, oh, then yeah. we had to go to practice, and then you got to go, you know, get ice, and then you got to come again. Like, it's a, it's a lot of stuff. So I think, I think this whole interview, and like, I want to thank you again for, you know, joining me on the podcast. I think all of what you explained from being the daughter of, you know, one of a, a really well-known, you know, basketball player, and then going into showing how you built your own, you know, journey and got to where you are now is more than I could have ever asked for, so. Thank you, Ash. You're, like, making me blush. I'm, I was just very happy to see you. <laughs> uh, you know, what can, what can I say? <laughs> Thanks for having me. This was really fun. <laughs>